Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hello and welcome back to the WTF1 podcast. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison, and welcome to a very special edition of the WTF1 podcast because we've got some very unique and some uh, very awesome insight because joining me on the show this time around is former Red Bull Junior, former Lotus F1 Junior, and master of the School of Send himself. <laughs> His own words, not just mine. Um, it's Callan O'Keefe. Hello, Callan. Good to see you. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And uh, yeah, thank you for the intro. I'm definitely going to start putting that on the business cards from now on. It's a great name. It fits. I feel like you're missing a trick here, Callan. You know, it's a great name for a, for, a, for a driving school and a development program. So slap it on the business card. It rolls right off the tongue. Roll, roll with it. That's what, what I say. Yeah, we, we want to make sure that obviously our drivers are, are not only producing race wins, but... um. Yeah, keeping stuff interesting and making good content. Everything's about content nowadays. So, um, of course, a good name, and hopefully our drivers are living up to, which thankfully they are for the moment. <laughs> exactly. That, that every little helps, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, that'd be okay. fantastic. Now, we, we've brought you on for a good reason, Canon. And, and uh, this this was some interesting comments that was made by one of your peers in the Red Bull Junior program. At uh, if um, then that was Jaime Algaswari, who you may remember for as, a, as an F1 name from yesteryear, listeners. Um, he uh, he's he's moved on from racing for the most part now. He's in he's into music and whatnot. But he did come up with some interesting tweets the other day that we felt like would be interesting to talk about. And here's the full quote from Jaime, in case you missed it, if you don't follow him at Squire Music. Um, this is what he had to say. Quote, just having breakfast and realized something. 11 years ago, we were told we were being replaced because we weren't winners. Let's please forget about me for a second, but... Just while I'm having my coffee, I found out Sebastian Buemi, my former teammate in F1, keeps on adding wins and trophies to his back. I forgot how many world titles he already has to his back, and I'm just not happy and proud of him. But as time goes by, I realized how many races and maybe world titles he would have won at Red Bull Racing. Again, please don't judge. This is only my personal view of my teammate, Seb, based on statistics and facts. I do not want to intend what my performance would have been. However, it was also written, ciao, uh, which <laughs> I, I, I love how authentically Jamie it is, first and foremost. I, I, I do love that. And um, it got a lot of people talking. It certainly got us in, in uh, WTF1 HQ talking, and that's why we brought you on, Callan. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw his original comments at the time, but looking back on it now, what did you make of it? Well, first and foremost, I also have the most clarity and thought when I'm eating my breakfast and drinking my coffee. So let's start off by saying that I think that actually what he's saying is correct. Um, you know, obviously, I, I, my kind of speciality at the moment is is driver development. That's that's what we do at School Ascend. And 
I actually think that this is this has kind of opened up what has already been a, a discussion on the fringes. There's always that chat, isn't there, about whether or not Red Bull give their drivers enough time. Absolutely. And obviously, Jaime separating himself from it, I think, is clever. But, you know, if you, if you look back at the list of drivers that Red Bull didn't necessarily take on to Formula One, there's a lot of success there. I mean, and it, it's not across just one form of motorsport. It's not just single-seaters or sports cars or endurance, even looking to Formula E. You know, there's... There's a lot of drivers out there that slip through the net of the system. And actually, I think I'm is making a very valid point. And, and you know, Boemi is just one example of it, of of actually what could have potentially been if the driver had had slightly different circumstances. So I think it definitely opens up this this interesting narrative of of are they giving drivers enough time? Are they, you know, taking into account circumstances? Or are they just looking out for the next best ready-made product at the time? And yeah, I think having been through that system myself, um, again. You know, you've got to tread carefully with where you are because obviously as a driver, you always believe that you, you're capable of being the best. Otherwise, you wouldn't do yourself. But, you know, I, I started off karting very, very late. I started off at 13 years old and wow. I did one year of like club level Rotax stuff at, at Buckmore Park, which is actually where there's that famous clip of Lewis Hamilton racing and mm. and a track called Bayford Meadows, which people won't know so much. It, it floods when it rains, but it's a great place for young guys. <laughs> you get to race half the track in the wet. And, you know, I, I won my local club championship and my parents sort of said, right, well, We've got enough to do one year properly. Off to Europe you go. And I, I there's a huge race at the start of the year called the Winter Cup. And um, I raced that, 160 drivers enter it. It's all the big factory teams, all the big names. And I entered that before I even entered an, a national karting race. Um, made the final my first attempt. And, and it was a pretty good field that year. We had um, this one guy called Max Verstappen. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, these decent that drivers. <laughs> Alex Olben, Pierre Gasly, Jake Dennis, who's obviously in Formula E as well. Mm, mm. Um, and that's just some of the names, you know. It, it was it was a really strong year. And my second race, I went on to take pole position in WSK, which is like the big World Series of karting. And then at the end of that year, I, I finished third in the karting World Champs. Max was second. Alex was P1. Olben, he was the time of the whole race. So it was a very quick succession through. Fast forward a few years and, and you know, signed by Red Bull and everything. And my car racing career didn't quite go the way that I wanted to. I was, I was thankfully very successful. I won a lot of, I won a lot of races. Um, but I, I, you know, when I, I moved up into cars two years after starting or three years after starting karting, I, I wasn't, in my opinion, I wasn't necessarily given that support that I needed around me. And I didn't do very much testing. It was, it was kind of one of those where you sort of feel looking back now, knowing what I know and, and with the company that I've started, that potentially actually there would have been a very different career for me. Obviously you make mistakes, you know, I, you don't know every driver's individual circumstance, but yeah, I think this is an interesting one. There's there's a lot of drivers out there who I would have loved to have seen. Antonio Felix da Costa, he was absolutely dominant. He's the one that comes to mind for me. I would have loved to have seen da Costa in Formula One because he went through that stretch where he was dominating GP3. He was winning races in World Series by Renault. And there was this amazing young talent there who potentially has slipped through the Formula One net and we're never going to know really how how good he was. So, yeah, I, I don't know what your thoughts on it are, but mm. I, I I think it's definitely something that could be discussed. I mean, it's it's very ruthless. I mean, you look at some of the names that didn't even get to Red Bull's second team at uh, you know the now Alpha Tauri was Toro Rosso. Some of the names, and I, I'm pretty diverse when it comes to motorsport watching in general. You see Neil Yarny, Felipe Albuquerque, Albuquerque, Coletti, Michaela Lotion was a decent IndyCar driver. 
Robert Wickens, I think, could have gone on to win an IndyCar title easily. Um, if he walked into that series and was outstanding on debut. Um, Junkadella, Da Costa, like you mentioned. Some guy called Callan O'Keefe wasn't half bad. Um, Tom Brogfist was in there. You know, Mylot, again, doing really well in IndyCar at the moment. Sete Camera is a, is a solid IndyCar, um, sorry, solid Formula E driver now as well. So there's been plenty of names that haven't even gotten into the second F1 team. And to be fair, that's a bit of a privilege in itself because most big factories don't have two teams. And even then, the amount of incredible talent that they've gone through have just not have just not made the cut. I mean, so it's it's incredible. I know you have to be ruthless to it because there's only ever going to be two seats and you, you're always going to have more talent than what you can facilitate. But I think you're absolutely right that, you know, it's it's like a conveyor belt, and if you haven't got a golden level generational talent like Max Verstappen or Sebastian Vettel, even Daniel Ricciardo, who's had an outstanding F one career, if if it really is over, that he's you know he's had eight wins, which <laughs> there's not a lot of F one drivers ever but, that have had eight wins, you know. Yeah, and if you look at if you look at Daniel's natural speed and ability, you know he 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 beat Sebastian Vettel in the same car when Sebastian Vettel was at the top of his game. Like this is this is someone who should have a permanent place in the sport because it's clear that he's got a lot of natural ability. And I, I think it kind of opens up the debate of what talent is. And I was, I was having this chat with, with my girlfriend the other night. She's a, she's a cyclist actually. So it's a very different sport and it's a very different perspective. And I think one of the things that I've kind of come to the conclusion over the last few years is very difficult to gauge talent because it's a sport where the margins are so fine. Drivers are one or two decisions away from either dominating a race or being P5 because you know, if you look at an F4 grid now, we were we were out in the UAE at the start of this year and we had like a, a World Cup of F4 to prep the next group of up-and-coming drivers. And you've got Ferrari juniors out there, you've got McLaren juniors out there, you've got and you've got kids who you've never even heard of. All of a sudden, you've got a grid of 40 kids in F4, loads of different teams, and they're all separated by about a second and a half over a two-minute lap. The it's margins crazy. are so, so small. So, you know... How can you define talent at 15 years old? And that that's the part that I find very, very interesting is, you know, obviously I've I've been out of the system for, for you know, almost 10 years now. So things have come along, but I'm kind of curious to know the advisors, the people around, how do they look at that one kid who's 14, 15 years old and go, he's going to go to Formula One. And then what structures they're putting in place to make sure that they nurture that talent and not just see if he's ready at the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I distinctively remember um, back in when the BBC had the rights to Formula One in, in this country and they had David Coulthard and Eddie Jordan. They were debating Max Verstappen and whether he was too young to even be in F1 because he drove that first practice session, I think it was at 16, which is incredible, um, but also a bit scary because there was a many there was many a debate about well is this too soon is is he too young for something like that and now you're talking and now you've been on both sides of the fence as a driver and now as a, a manager as a development coach and you've now seen both sides of that coin at what it's like to be a teenager coming up through the system so i wanted to tap into a little bit about the hidden side of being that sort of you know red bull junior you know coming up as a teen and you know that whole talent evaluation so what is it like on a ground floor level when you're trying to come up through the system? Because obviously you, I'm sure you had competition around you for those sorts of seats when you wanted to be a racer. So what is that like? What, what is that perspective sort of like? Because I think for us as fans, we only talk about junior academy guys at very face value. Are they going to make F1? Are they going to make it up the junior ladder? 
But what is it like behind the scenes, Callan? Like, like, go into a little bit of the detail about that if you can, because I, I, yeah. I think there's a lot that doesn't get talked about. Yeah, the, the kind of obviously structure of, of how it all works. And I think that this is important to say. And I, I always say whenever I talk about the, the junior programs of, of Formula One, you know, you know what you're getting into, right? Like, it's very easy for me to sit here, 26 years old, didn't make it to Formula One to go, mm. oh, it's terrible, whatever. When you sign, you know exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's quite frankly, you win or they kick you out. So it's not like they claim to be this amazing support structure that if you're having a difficult time at home or whatever it is that they're going to be there. Every it's it's performance related. It's ruthless, as you said, and it's 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 marketed like that to you, if you like. It's 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 clear from the start. So, you know, to give you some some background of of how I entered the junior program, sure. uh, we Brilliant. did a we did a test at well, I was I was winning races in karting in Europe. I was I was you know leading WSK World Series the second year I did. That was the same year that that Max Verstappen was there, and um, we were kind of we were actually battling a lot during the course of the year. He was factory CRG. I was Ricky Flynn. Who anyone who knows a bit about karting, obviously they've gone on to develop a lot of great drivers. Piastri, Norris, they they spring to mind, and and a great team as well. Um, and kind of my dad got a call from Doctor Helmut Marco. Didn't know who he was because I'm not a motorsport family in South African, so we like rugby, cricket, and, and football. <laughs> no, that's um, <laughs> yeah. My my dad, my dad came into the kitchen and he was like, "I've just got this call from this this Doctor Marco guy who claims to be from Red Bull. I think it was a prank call." And I'm like, "Dad, <laughs> no. call him back now! <laughs> call him back!" Shoot, so, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, he 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 obviously they they keep track of everything. Everything's results based. I think you know. There's always scouts. There's always people around and you, you don't know when you're being watched, but you're always being watched. And um, he invited us to the British Grand Prix and obviously 15-year-old kid, I I was in awe of everything. You're in the F1 paddock on a race weekend and we we had lunch in the Red Bull hospitality and and he said to me, when, what's what's your goal in life? And I said, it's to be a multiple Formula One world champion. That's, that's all I get out of bed for. And he went, good. If you had said anything else, I would have ended the meeting right there. And it was like, that's the first real inclination of where what you're what you're entering and the meeting went well and he said look well you know we're going to give you a chance we're going to put you in a formula renault car and if you you do a good job and you impress us we'll give you a seat in the junior team but we don't want you to test we don't want you to drive anything before then we want to see your natural ability now i'm 15 years old three years into karting not from a family from motorsports so we didn't understand what that really meant i mean the, the day before the test when they were cutting away my seat I would, my dad was teaching me how to use a clutch because I, I didn't know how to use a clutch. We didn't even think about that. I was like, wow, oh, yeah. I, I don't know how to pull away a car. So we're in the rental car in, in the car park of Esteril Racetrack <laughs> trying to learn. And I stalled something ridiculous like 17 times before I got out because racing clutches are obviously oh, like yeah. the bite point is much smaller. If, if anyone's ever driven a road car, it's much harder to pull away a race car. That's why you see drivers in junior formula stalling. Yeah, it, it, and, it, um, it's, like, it's like Top Gear. I've seen that one with Richard Hammond drives yes, in one car and exactly. he drives the Renault and <laughs> I think he, he hits the anti-stall. I think it was eight times. And I think they joked yeah. eight times. That's a record, I think, isn't it? Ex exactly, exactly. So you, you sat there and, uh, you know, Arrive at that test. Alex Olben was there. Another kid called Stefan Wackerbauer was there. He was ridiculously fast. He unfortunately slipped through the net as well. Mm. Um, and our reference driver, they didn't put out some some hobby racing driver. It was Daniel Kvyat who was winning races in Formula Renault at the time. So, you know, it was like no driving, no experience, no practice, no nothing. Just drive. Just show us what you're capable of. And I think, again, that sort of sets the tone for where you're at. Thankfully, I did a good enough job to, to be taken on to go race Formula BMW and you know, before my first race in Formula BMW, I did about four days of testing and that was it. 
you know, now we're looking at drivers doing 50, 60 days the year before they drive because that's the level that's required. When you're actually in the program, you obviously get everything provided for you. I mean, I don't know a, a more complete program in terms of equipment, media training, all the all the bits to make you a champion from the outside. Yeah. Um, a good physical trainer. You know, you get regular sim assessments at the at the factory. But I I would say the thing that potentially, if if you like the the hidden side of it is, you know, sometimes there's more going on in family life, and obviously we're starting to get to know drivers more about the actual stories because the helmet kind of hides a lot of motorsports a very closed world and taking into the individual. It was more, well, go out and win. We're giving you the trainer. We're giving you the sim work. We're giving you the work with the engineers and everything like that. And I think especially now the drivers are so young and, and even back then we were kind of like the first trial run to get through because round about then, you know, you're looking at being in Formula One when you're in your mid twenties, then all of a sudden you're 15 and thrust with this F1 pressure upon you. So you know, I, I th- I'd like to think hopefully it's improved now, but I'd say you you kind of have everything, but also not everything at the same time when you're when you're a part of that program. So do do you think that there's still some shortcomings in the mental side? Of it? Because also we talk about mental health a lot more now than I think we did when you were in that system 10, 15 years ago. Um, I know there's a, there's a having a such a ruthless system is always going to play up on that because it's it's an actual obviously sport is incredibly cutthroat and of incredibly course, ruthless um but you know again i don't think we had the conversations or we had in general in society that we have now that we did 10 years ago so do you think there was an element of that lacking when you were coming through i i you know i also i'm very careful to to you know beat down the support network if you like because also it's it's very easy to ask for it isn't it the other side um which i myself i personally didn't and i don't know where they're at now and as you said the conversations weren't so prevalent back then i mean you know having a psychologist back then or having like a mental coach or someone was was kind of like a bit it you know it was kind of frowned upon in motorsport 10 years ago so right. thankfully we're, we're coming out of that you know i i used to have a psychologist the second year that i did with red bull when things weren't going well I started to bring a, a very good psychologist with me, a, a, a lovely woman called Sarah Broadhead, who had won Olympic golds with people and everything. And she was a great deal in helping me kind of turn my season around. And yeah, she, you know, she was kind of coming to the track, but she wasn't necessarily welcomed by the environment, which I found quite interesting because again, wow. I was I was still new to motorsport. We were kind of, we weren't a motorsport family. So I like to think that there's more of a support network in in place. And maybe that was just my own personal experience. It's very easy also to ask for it if you feel like you're struggling. But, you know, I think the the one thing with with the program, and as I said, they've always been, you're either good enough or you're not. And I I think now we're obviously learning. And, and I use one of our own drivers, drivers as an example, a young Aussie lad called Noah Lyle. He um, just come back from an, an amazing weekend in British F4 in Donington. And last year he was struggling to make the top 10. And he had just come over from Australia. He's relocated his entire life here at, at 14, 15 years old. And it's an incredible obviously commitment. it's a long way to go. And, and last year we had a very difficult year. You know, last weekend he he broke the F4 all-time win record by margin in, in one race. He won a 20-minute race with a safety car period by 13 and a half seconds. That's incredible. At Donning, Donington National, he's a second lap faster than any driver in the wet. And we're, you know, this is a this is a high level of drivers. These are the next generation Formula One kids. And it would have been very easy a year ago to look and go, oh, well, he's just not got it, has he? But there's there's something there. You have to take time to nurture and develop talent. And I think that's something that maybe potentially could be could be missing, not only from Red Bull, but in the sport in general. I think everyone's very quick to jump to conclusions. Yeah, I was going to say, like, 
it's, it certainly seems, I mean, I've been watching F1 for, for about 15, 20 years now. And something that I've noticed is I've become more of a, you know, journalistic and media personality and having a bit more in-depth knowledge about it is that they're trying to get people in as quickly as possible. And like, I, I think the days of people that are going through the juniors and maybe spending two or three years to develop themselves in a series, it, it feels like those days are kind of going away because from what I've noticed and how people talk about these these pundits or, or pundits or talk about these talented drivers like like a Mick Schumacher or an Oscar Piastri or even a Hamilton from a few years ago, if you're not one and done or you're not winning a major series in two years, it almost feels like you're already behind the eight ball. And do you think it's something that, you know, we need to maybe be a bit slower in the system in general to help develop these drivers. Because obviously, I think we're a little bit spoilt for talent in F1 at the highest level. I mean, we've had a, a fleet of young drivers come through in the last, you know, five, six, seven years or so. But there's also, for every Norris or a, or a Russell, there's also a, a Mick Schumacher um, or someone like Yuki Tsunoda, who's under a lot of pressure this year to succeed, and he's already done two years. And there's a fleet of guys behind him that could easily take his job next year. So do you feel like maybe these junior drivers should have more time to develop? Or do you think that ruthlessness of trying to get them up the classes as soon as possible is the way to go? I think it's a balance. Like you have to be, you have to be able to handle it. And I, I think that's important. If you get given the opportunity, there needs to be that there is something there where you see a kid driving or you see that the way that they they understand a race car, the way that they develop themselves, where you go, actually, no, this because not everyone can do it, right? This is this is a very difficult thing to do. Um, and it's it's a very fine line between how quickly you rush and how quickly you nurture and, and how much time you give. And I, I I call it the Verstappen formula because you know, from the moment that Max literally decided that he wanted to be a racing driver, he was gonna be a Formula One world champion, not only because of his immaculate talent like he's he's so difficult to beat and he's so fast but you know when you you couple the fact that you've got a dad who's a formula one driver and a mum who's a karting world champion they know what they're doing they they you know max was always ready one category ahead of what he was racing he was always doing the most testing he was always he I mean, you, you only have to look at how he went straight into fiaf3 and was competitive straight away because his father understood that actually single seat is a qualifying formula understand a new tire understand how to qualify, deliver under pressure, get the car off the line, be consistent, and you win races because it's very difficult to, in those generations of F3 cars, it's very difficult to follow because of aero wash. So if you could qualify at the front and get off the line and do a good first lap, the race was better and then be consistent. The race was basically done um, with the exception of places like Spa and Monza, obviously, where you, you know, your natural racing ability that he has would, would take it through. So I think a lot of people use that formula, the Verstappen formula of, well, he was in Formula One when he was 16. He was doing free practices. We've got to be there as well when it's actually quite an unobtainable goal because you don't have the insight, you don't have the knowledge, you potentially don't have the funds because it costs a lot of money to do it. Absolutely. Um, and I think I always say it to the the kind of people who who are around the drivers we we work with, don't try and be the youngest ever and miss out on actually becoming the, the thing that you're capable of becoming. Um you know, there are some kids, there's there's one that springs to mind. There's there's a young driver called Kimi Antonelli who's coming through, mm. Mercedes Jr. He is an exceptional young talent. I spent the entirety of the winter watching him trackside with another driver that I was coaching. And, you know, there are kids out there that are that are on the path through it, you know. Um, but I think I think you can't put everyone under a, a blanket of, well, you've got to be in Formula One by the time that you're 19. And if you're not, 
And if you're not a, a senior world karting champion by the time you're 13, you know, you might as well give up now because, you know, just from a, a baseline point of view, people's brains develop at different rates. It's a hugely, hugely fine margin sport. And and I think there's also a lot of moving parts as well. You know, when you're looking for those tiny margins, team environment, driver prep, just understanding general professionalism, physicality as well, that plays a part in other single seater cars and just generally the race cars that these young kids are driving at such a young age are hugely physical. I mean, we're looking at sort of 10, 15 seconds a lap quicker in some categories than when I raced at the same mm. level. So the sport's constantly evolving. I think we've gone through a bit of a cycle. Personally, I'd like to see a little bit more time given to development um, because I think actually we've, as you said, we've been spoiled for choice, but I think that there's a lot of other young drivers out there who are equally as good and maybe even could develop to become better. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. I want to take a moment to tell you about HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Good food is too precious to waste. HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients cut down on your food waste by at least 23% compared to grocery shopping, which is good for your wallet and the planet. Spend less time in the kitchen with quick and easy meals like HelloFresh's Fast and Fresh, Pineapple Chicken Tacos, or Falafel Power Bowls, ready in 15 minutes or less. HelloFresh keeps your taste buds on your toes with 40 recipes and over 100 seasonal and convenience items to choose from every week. With so much variety, there are options for everyone and every lifestyle. Not everyone is a pro in the kitchen. I know I'm certainly not. So I really like how easy HelloFresh makes everything for everyone, from inexperienced cooks to established ones. So what are you waiting for? Go to HelloFresh.com WTF50 and use code WTF50 for 50% off. Plus, your first box ships for free. That's HelloFresh.com WTF50 and use code WTF50 for 50% off, plus free shipping on your first box. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. I mean, you came through the Red Bull Junior Academy and, you know, you spent a bit of time with Lotuses as well. And something I wanted to ask you um, in general is that 
I think Red Bull get the biggest bad rap for some of the talent that they've left behind. And some of that's right. Some of that's wrong. I mean, everybody's got their own opinions at the end of the day, but they're not the only team that has an academy process. I mean, it's, I think it's some of it's been well documented, like Alpine. And obviously they had the big dispute with Piastri last year. We've seen people like McLaren with, you know, they had Van Dorn and Magnussen and, you know, it ends up both of them have, fledgling careers with them um, as when, by the time they actually got into the F1 teams in the end. So I wanted to put it to you because a guy that's done a couple of camps and seen, again, seen how the scouting and how the process works on, on the ground floor up. Do you think it's just a Red Bull problem? Because obviously I think they're the most high profile example, or do you think it's an across the board sporting level problem about how these academies are going through talent? I, I think first and foremost, it's yeah, it's it's not just a thing with Red Bull or with what it's it's the nature of the sport itself. And, and I think it's important to mention that the reason why it is inherently the way it is is because there's a lot of money being spent. There is it's tiny margins, a lot of money, and you know, unfortunately, you you don't really have the time or the luxury to be able to waste that time and money because it's so so important it's it's you know when you're spending millions and millions and millions developing talent if you get the sense that they're not there of course you're going to act on it because you can't keep afford spending millions so i think like i said it's very easy for me to sit here in my seat and go oh well you could do this and this and this and this and this but it, it's it's motorsport motorsport is is this this beast if you want to call it that and mm. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning is the fact that, yeah, it's it's across the board with everything. Everyone's ruthless because everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to be at the highest level. So, you know, I, I don't know, as you said, I don't know another sport that isn't ruthless um, <laughs> because exactly. there's so much at stake for so many people and, and people and teams. And it's it's also worth mentioning, it's not just an academy thing. It's, it's teams in general. There's some teams that are more nurturing. There's some teams that are more ruthless. And we're talking from karting all the way to F2 to WEC to IndyCar, whatever it is, you know, we're, we're human, well, human beings are, are by nature competitive. And if you do this for a living, you're super competitive and, and losing isn't an option. So yeah, I, I think looking across the board, it's, it's not a case of saying, well, oh, Red Bull do this terribly and they don't develop drivers and whatever, because for every driver that they've lost, they've also developed some fantastic talent and you've got to be balanced on both sides the exact same thing with 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 Alpine. When I was at Lotus, of course, there was some good bits that they did that Red Bull didn't do, but there was also some flaws that you didn't get with Red Bull. So, um, I think, yeah, to, to to facilitate change within the sport is is going to be very very difficult. I think it's it's just not being so quick to jump to conclusions. I would say it's that that would be the first starting point in in making a change and and seeing a difference across the board. But yeah, it's not just it's not just the junior programs. It's it's a sports thing in general, I would say. Indeed, and you know, it's a it's an incredibly competitive thing. And uh, as you said, for every prospect that didn't make it, are you going to talk about him so much? As long as you can say you've produced Max Verstappen and Sebastian Vela, who are multiple time world champions, when you've developed that at the highest level, and say that's come through your academy and your back door you're going to celebrate that and say the whole thing's a success because that's ultimately what the whole point of it is there for at the end of the day, right? Yeah, and people, you know, obviously, again, like I say, very easy for me to be sat here going, well, you could do this and this and this and this, but it's, it, it is the whole purpose is to win world championships. You know, if you you look back at another sport and you go, well, who finished fifth in the Premier League in 2015? Most people won't know because people care really about being at the top and, yeah, it's it's you you have to celebrate when they do produce those talents and it, it's great for the sport. And yeah, I, I think um 
hopefully, fingers crossed, we we see more success stories in the future as as the sort of chat you know widens through and and drivers hopefully uh well if they're if they're not already getting it they start to get the support they need and if they are getting it then we just get a great group of young drivers coming through and it's great for everyone to watch absolutely and to be fair i think we've gotten that to a degree like you said we've had norris russell leclerc verstappen last seven eight years all come through academies and have all now become very predominant figures at the top of the sport alongside the veterans. So I think it's hard not to say it hasn't worked to some degree course, when you, you, you've got a bunch of, you know, 20 somethings now that are the faces of the, the next generation of the sport, which leads me to my final question. I've got, I've got to poke into your head a little bit as a pundit as well. And a guy that again, knows the Red Bull system and, and sees the situation. I mentioned Yuki Sonoda earlier, who by the way, I think is having a very good third season so far. He's, he's fighting very hard at the moment, but people are going to talk. Um, and Red Bull, I think have restocked their Academy. They've got a lot of big names in there. Liam Lawson is now out there in Japan with super formula. Owas is leading the formula two championship right now. You got maybe Zane Maloney, Dennis Hauger behind him. Who do you think is going to be that next big name to come out of that Red Bull Academy or, 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 or any Academy in general? I'll spread the net for you, make it even wider for you. Who do you think uh, might, be, might be the next big thing? Make the question even more difficult. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 uh, I've, got, I've got to test you, Callum. I've got to test you. <laughs> I think it depends. You, you know what? If you ask me this question in three months' time, I think it'd be different because, again, you know, we, we're, 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 we're doing the exact same thing. We're analyzing these young drivers. Um I think, you know, having watched quite a few of them trackside, if you if you look at where Liam Lawson is at the moment, his his race in Suzuka the other week, that was phenomenal. I mean, some of the moves is the move into the final chicane that Ooh. that was that was some school ascend worthy behavior. That was that was <laughs> mega. Um and obviously he's he's really finding himself, isn't he, after a, a difficult few seasons. Awas is doing a great job. He's he's kind of he's been a big surprise for me. I didn't really expect him to be doing the mm. job that he's doing. Maloney, I think again. You know, if you'd said at the start of last year, do you think he's ready? Everyone would have gone no when he when he spun by, you know, of the safety car restarted Imola and leading the field at F3, but obviously had a, an amazing end to the year and mounted a championship charge. And then you've got Isaac Hadjar, who I think is a, is a phenomenal talent. Again, yeah. it's all going to come down to now how he gets over the fact that that, that F3 title kind of slipped away from him a little bit. And, you know, all these all these young kids, that that's the kind of Red Bull stable. Dennis Hauger was was phenomenal two years ago and now he's he's finding it more challenging in F2. So it depends really on this this shift of momentum. And, and this is where it goes back to the same chat of whatever they're getting behind the scenes, the ones that are doing a great job need to keep doing it. They need to keep delivering. They need to keep performing. And the ones that have had that that ascension and then maybe have dropped off a little bit, they need that support. They need that group of people around them, wherever they're getting it from, to try and help them refine where they're losing the time. Because Normally it's it's a few small changes. We're talking one or two percent to make the difference. And then all of a sudden you're not discussing three names, you're discussing ten or eleven. And yeah, I think actually Red Bull probably have the strongest stable of young drivers. If if I think back, obviously you've got your, your you know, I mentioned Kimi Antonelli, I think he's very good. You've got Alex Powell is doing a great job in karting as well, another Mercedes Junior. He's he's up in, in shifters and there's a few kids outside of the net as well who haven't necessarily been picked up just yet, but they're kind of on the fringes, you know. There's there's young Freddie Slater's look out for as well as dominating Janetta Juniors and racing KZ, and you know obviously the the young school ascent drivers we've got winning races too. Of so um... 
shameless plug but you know i was i was gonna let you, you see, i was gonna let you plug it anyway my man but like before we get out of here kind of tell the good people where they can find you and tell us a little bit about school send yeah so obviously on on all social medias um at callan underscore o'keefe if you want to follow the personal waffle and obviously school ascend <laughs> it as at school ascend underscore we're um you know, I, I started the company a, a few years ago to was actually during lockdown when I sort of took a backseat away from racing to give drivers that 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 platform to help develop. And you know, our kind of speciality is not necessarily taking the the drivers who have had the easy one well, of the easy ride, but the successful ride through karting. Um uh we had our first championship win with with young Matthew Reese. He won British F4 as a rookie, he had a very difficult time towards the end of his karting career after a strong cadet pedigree and then came up into cars double polled his first race weekend, had an absolute disaster, came back the next weekend, double polled it, won two out of the three and won the championship with a round to go after, you know, a very shaky start. And we've got another driver called Joseph Loke, who's winning in GB3 at the moment. He won his first race on debut, he's leading the championship. And then obviously Noah Lyle, who I mentioned, and then a, a load of drivers in America, drivers all over the place. So we're kind of aiming to create that that driver support network that that I feel like could be improved. And Hopefully, fingers crossed. Within the next sort of five years, we'll uh, produce some some future world champions. I, I will. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to sit back and I can't wait. And I hope we'll be mentioning School of Send in much greater circles in the future because it's produced hopefully multiple world champions in a bunch of places. Callan, thank you very much for coming along, my friend, um, and just get, get, being able to, to shoot your shot and just uh, talk about just what it's like behind the scenes to be a junior in the system in general. So uh, again, big thanks to Callan for coming on. More insight coming soon to the WTF1 podcast. I've been Dre Harrison. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to Callan, of course, for joining us. And until next time, Take care.